0: All right, welcome back. Hello, beautiful people. This is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Danielport. And thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us. Uh, the idea is we are trying to teach you something. Hopefully, you're learning some good stuff. And thank you for all of the, the feedback and questions that we've gotten. Uh, it's been overwhelmingly positive. And, uh, you know, we, we take all this. Uh, very seriously. And so we're, again, you keep asking us those questions and we'll give you content.
1: Yeah. And, and any topics that we haven't talked about, you are more than welcome to just drop a little comment and say, I want you guys to talk about whatever. Um, and if we feel like we have the knowledge to to kick
0: it for you, we will.
1: And if we don't, then we won't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, today's topic, I think a lot of us, if we look at the number of patients that come in asking questions about um, looking tired, and how can I get rid of dark circles under my eyes? And I've got puffiness, and all these things. Today, we're going to talk about treating lower eyelids, and that includes what we call the lid-cheek junction. Uh, you know, so dark circles, puffiness, um, you know, and and just that looking tired feeling. So, mm-hmm. and everyone knows what we're talking about because mm-hmm. some people just get it every now and then. Mm-hmm.
1: Some people have it genetically. And some people get it over time. Um, but it is a problem and it's such a problem that some people make their um,
0: practice just tailored to that area. Mm-hmm, definitely. You know, I've got oculoplastic surgeons and, and that, they deal with the eyelids, uh, you know, upper and lower eyelids because uh, it is a very intricate, complex structure, especially the lower eyelid. And uh, You know, we've learned a lot coming over the, you know, over the last few decades about what actually needs to be done because there's so many intricate layers and sometimes people blow right through some of those layers causing scarring. It changes the shape of the eye. And so it's gotten a bad rap. But um, today I think what we'll do is maybe we, we focus same thing. I always like stratifying it by, you know, uh, minimally invasive, you know, non-invasive, minimally invasive, and then moving our way into invasive. And I always love giving people options. You know, when they come to me and sit, they give that, that, that complaint and say, gosh, doc, I've got dark circles under my eyes, or I've got bags under my eyes and I'm not tired. And People keep asking me, am I tired? And I say, no, I slept well. Sometimes it's genetic. It doesn't necessarily have to be that you can't do some of these things on a 25-year-old because- you could have a genetic predisposition for it. More commonly, it's late thirties into our forties and fifties. And so what I'll do is I'll stratify some of the things by just saying, look, these are ways of, I I give people options, good, better, best. Good, usually a mixture of Botox fillers, some of the non-invasives. Best is surgical because it's reproducible. We know what to expect. Better is just that, looking better. You use some of the newer technologies and things like that, or you don't go the full way into all of this, the surgical options. You just choose some of them. So um, really, I figured what we do is we'd start with the reasons why we have dark circles, the reasons why we have puffiness, and the reason why we look tired as we age, especially. Absolutely. And and I, I tell you guys, this is a, a really,
1: really good topic because lately everyone's getting their hands on people and doing it and actually causing a lot of problems mm-hmm. too so we're going to talk about what not to do because sometimes just going to to a practitioner doesn't really know like what dr lakey's saying the lower eyelid and what the right procedure is for something will just maybe put filler in and then it'll look even worse so mm-hmm. we're going to kind of talk to you about what to look for what not to and and what causes these problems and who the right type of practitioner is they can take care of them
0: Definitely, so really, three main reasons why we uh, why the under eyes look tired, and one is uh, the puffiness that we talked about. Um, we have the excess skin of the lower eyelid, and we the dark circles really are caused from the thickness of the skin, so it 's a very thin skin, you can start seeing all the capillaries and and that uh, translates to a a bluish hue as the light reflects into it. The reason why we develop puffiness, imagine that the eyeball is surrounded by fat. And, um, you know, it's it's essentially the reason, you know, part of the reason why uh, you, you take a step and, and your eye, eyeball doesn't shake, your vision doesn't shake. Um, and you have this little, imagine it's a retaining wall, a retaining wall that's kind of holding everything into position. And as we age, that retaining wall weakens. What have I said before in the past? every year we lose another percent of collagen. Collagen isn't just in your skin. It's in cartilage, tissue, bone, uh, muscle. And so everything gets weaker. So the idea is that retaining wall slowly uh, allows some of that fat to push its way out. And that's why we call it pseudo herniated fat because it doesn't actually cause, you know, a breach through uh, there's no hole in that uh, orbital septum uh, or that retaining wall, but um, it gives the illusion that it is.
1: And for some people, it's worse, and for some people, it's better, and, and and for some people, you don't see it at all. And I and how often do you turn around and say, "Does your mom and dad have this?" And they'll almost. Inevitably, all of them will say, yeah, my mom has the same thing or my dad had the same thing. Very, very genetic. We're talking about this puffiness underneath. Now, now we don't want to kind of confuse that with, oh, you went out and and drank a lot or ate a a high salt food diet, which can cause some of these problems. This is something that you see on a regular basis that's happening.
0: Mm -hmm. And the next thing is you have to imagine there are certain ligaments or tethering in the face and then our face ages around it. So imagine it's almost like it deflates over time and uh, it, you know everything drops around the area by the eyes, which is called the tear trough, and by the side of the nose, which is the laugh line or nasolabial fold, and then the reason why we develop jowls because of the mandibulocutaneous ligament. So the idea is... We have to really treat three things because in addition to that, the cheek slowly starts to fall and separate, right? So I like to say that we really need, you know, to to really treat someone, you have to reverse or treat all three of the issues that we talked about. The puffiness, the indentation or the tear trough deformity, and then we have to look at, uh, you know, the thickness of the skin, so what I would say, and we'll talk about multiple different uh, you know options and things like that, but really what we need to do is remove the puffiness, we have to tighten the skin, and then we have to thicken the skin, all right? So let's go with the least invasive possible. Now, there is a medicine that's uh, currently in FDA clinical trials, That may actually be an injectable that will reduce the amount of puffiness in the eyeball. But that's not available yet. And we'll keep you posted when some of these new fantastic drugs, uh, you know, become uh, available on the market. And no, we can't put Kybella under the eye. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely wouldn't. You know, listen, the Kybella itself is a detergent, uh, you know, deoxycholic acid and, and, and deoxycholic acid. And that's, um, something that will chew up fat. I just, I don't know that I would trust it around the eyeball. So there are some people out there that are, you know, definite cowboys and they're willing to risk your uh, uh, your face, but I don't know that I would definitely do that. So um, the first thing that I would recommend, and I know that both of us do quite a bit of this as well, is um, our tear trough fillers. So kind of give me your experience on it and I'll, I'll give mine as well.
1: You know, I, I, I love it. We've been doing this for many, many, many years. I like using a very, um, very light filler. In my opinion, I think Bellatero is the best for under the eyes. There are other ones too. You can use a ton of different ones, Wrestling, Juvederm. Um, they all make... Fillers that are not as thick um, and not you know kind of lay in an area of very thin skin and you won't necessarily see them. They're not. This is not there to to add significant volume. It's just there to fill a space, be like more of a spacer. Um, I think it's a very easy procedure to be done. Uh, I always use a cannula. I know you do too. Uh, We don't put needles anywhere near the eyes, Um, and I think it has to be the for the perfect. Candidate, um, and that's somebody who doesn't have a ton of pseudo pseudo-herdiated fat, if any. It's just more of a tear trough deformity, meaning they're just really missing that little bit of, of volume that's needed in that in that in the area of the lid cheek junction. Um, and it's not like they need cheek filler. It's not like you know you
0: don't need a lower bluff. You just need to fill that in, and it works really nicely for those candidates. It does, and and you know the interesting part is sometimes. The only reason, listen, um, the only reason why you see shadows under the eye are really, uh, I mean, the only reason you see dark circles sometimes is really light and shadows, right? Where you see three-dimensionally only because of light and shadow. And um, sometimes, you know, and I'm not going to get into negative vectors and things like that, but just know that sometimes adding volume to the cheek itself eliminates that shadow. Because- Especially if you're in really good shape, the problem is the face suffers as we age, and so um, you know you you lack volume that's in the direct uh, center part of the cheek. Um, we call some of it we call it the medial soof, uh, you know, and even to, uh, in the central part of the cheek uh, because um, as that fat atrophies. It leads to that big shadow that's under the puffiness. And so, one of the easiest things in the world, as Dr. Daniel Poor said, is just to add a little bit of filler. And people have done it using PRP along with it. Uh, some people even try using PRP by itself. I don't know how effective that is. You'll need multiple treatments for sure. Um, but the idea is adding some filler under the area, this hyaluronic acid filler can smooth the area out uh, where you're lacking volume. And so the light just bounces right off. It. And one
1: big um, take home is less is more under the eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, I, I rather bring you back five times and put little bits in than put too much, because I've seen so many people that have come into the office saying, "I got tear trough fillers. I need you to dissolve them." Mm-hmm. Because if there's a little bit outside the area of where it needs to be, or it migrates, it looks very prominent, and it looks like there's there's like a little ball there. So, um, just you know, whoever's injecting under in your eyes, just make them go slow. Yeah, and always you, use a cannula.
0: Yeah, you you have to imagine if the needle or cannula pierces through that orbital septum into where the the fat is sitting and you inject filler in there, it is almost uh, impossible to remove. And I've seen multiple patients, and it can be a really good injector as well. I mean, these things happen. You have to imagine we're injecting blindly and there are a million different blood vessels. So when someone comes out and they say, oh my gosh, I bruised, I can't believe it. He butchered me and ruined my life. Um, Well, listen, no one can see through your skin. The idea is we're trying to avoid, uh, you know, a million different blood vessels. But the goal is, if you are going to add that filler, it's got to be directly into the tear trough. Sometimes people do it vertically just to create little pillars. Um, but if you pierce through that orbital septum, you you are uh, you're in for a world of hurt because uh, sometimes it's very rare to get rid of that. No, it, it it looks awful, and that's why. Just it's it's it sounds like a
1: really easy thing to do. Just put a little filler there, but if it goes through it looks mm. it looks horrible yep
0: yep definitely this is Dr. John Lakey at Forever Young hope you're enjoying the show Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break so then we move on to kind of the next option, and that would be uh, minimally invasive as well. And that, uh, you know, we had talked about potentially thickening the skin underneath the eyelid. And there are multiple ways of doing that. I think in my hands, um, you know, I prefer either a 30 or 35% TCA peel, or we use a fractionated CO2 laser. The good part about the fractionated CO2 laser is that heat, that dwell time I can visually see the skin tighten in amazing. Me. And so it's not that you're tightening the orbital septum. Remember, make no mistake, that's her That is below the area. But if you can tighten the skin just a little bit, make it a little thicker, it holds the orbital septum back at bay and it buys you another couple of years. And so um, that is definitely an option.
1: Yeah, my favorite. I think it's the best way to do it. Um, and you can also use, if you really want, some people use Morpheus under the eyes. And that's It's a little more painful. And I personally think using uh, fractional CO2 lasers is to me, the standard of care.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, listen, it's great. I think um, the one thing that we have to be careful of is hyperpigmentation. Anytime you use heat-based or something like that that causes inflammation, inflammation leads to pigmentation or hyperpigmentation. And um, so usually in our patients, we pre-treat with something called Triluma, which is a hydroquinone, uh, it is a retinol and it has a tiny bit of a steroid to try to reduce some of the inflammation. And what it does is it prepares your skin for the laser. So it reduces the amount of um, of pigmentation. And uh, it can, great for, for those surgeons out there who are just performing a laser without using that, uh, this would, uh, th- this again would, um, it, it I would say, is an important part of doing laser. Now, you have to be careful using any type of, uh, you know, hydroquinone or, or steroid or retinol around the eye. And so usually what we say is, all right, you just use it once every third day. Um, you know, where the the rest of the, um, you know, you don't want to, obviously you want to avoid getting it in the eyes. You use it on the rest of the face every single night, but around the eyes, because it's thin skin, you, you definitely want to, um, you know, again, be very careful. Use it every third night, and that will help, uh, you know, get your skin ready for the laser. Absolutely. Next, I think, you know, we, we move into surgical treatments, and this is what I would say for most people is the best option. So,
1: And, I, and I'm just going to say one thing before we get into it is, is hands down, the best procedure to if if you were going to ask me one thing and this has happened with a lot of my patients because dr Lakey does all the eyelid surgery in this practice i don't um if they, they've come to me and they say okay i'm doing lipo with a breast lift what else should i do and i'm like i don't want to offend you but your lower eyelids will be the biggest game changer. And over the last maybe month and a half, 2 months, there's two patients I can remember that I was operating on and I brought Dr. Lakey into the room and he ended up doing a lower eyelid surgery on them. They have there's they're so happy. It's 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 a they don't even care about what I did and I did major surgery for them because they look Everyone that sees them, they're like, "What'd you do? You look so well rested." It's a very natural result, but it turns back the clock like no other procedure that we do in our in our practice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that uh, you know, there's something about bags under the eyes that can, you know, you eliminate that just by itself, and you'll take five years off. There's no doubt. Uh, sometimes more. And so, um, you know, with this particular surgery, you know, again, we talk about the best. Possible scenario: good, better, best. Best is you remove the puffiness, you add volume where you've lost it or need it, and then you tighten the skin. That trifecta right there, uh, you know, can can be a game changer. Now there are multiple different ways of removing that puffiness or removing the fat there there' are multiple we call, one we call a transconjunctival approach and really in in a, m- m- our practice I think I've really uh, you know it takes a lot for me so I'll, I'll back up transconjunctival means that you have little hidden incisions or one in hidden incision in the inside the eyelid so you don't see it there's no stitches that need to come out anything like that. Then there's a subsidiary incision, which is a traditional um, lower eyelid lift. And um, that's where you make an incision just under the lash line. And uh, sometimes, you know, in the history, that's been wrought with complications. And, um, you know, now we have done adjunctive procedures to try to eliminate those complications. But really, in my practice, I think that I have really tried to avoid making that incision unless I absolutely have to. And um, when you do the transconjunctival approach and you... Yeah, um, remove that puffiness, the last thing I want to do is leave you with excess skin. And so that's where adding, you know, either repositioning that fat uh, into the tear trough deformity or doing fat transfer to the cheek itself, I do add volume and then laser over the top of it. I mean, I think it's so important. So all of my facelifts, Everyone who undergoes the transconjunctival lower blepharoplasty, and we add a little bit of volume, even though I've suspended uh, the face, and, and it becomes much smoother, is I do want to laser the lower eyelids. Um, when we talk about the subciliary approach or the tra- the, the traditional uh, uh, lower eyelid lift, for years. One of the dreaded complications was uh, an ectropion. And that really is where the lid, lower lid margin itself starts to pull and it changes the natural almond shape of the eye to rounder. And sometimes you see those individuals where you can see pink on the lower eyelid. It's usually with someone who, you know, again, we we assess and evaluate how, and we call it a snapback test. You pull on the lower eyelid and it should snap right back in, in a second. If there's a lag time, it means that you are at a higher likelihood that it will change the shape of your eye if you make an incision or cause any type of scarring in the lower eyelid. And so with that now, Every time I do that, we would pair it with something called a canthopexy or a canthoplasty. Canthopexy means that we take the lower eyelid and we secure it to what we call the lateral orbital rim, and that's the bone. And so it just creates a more taut lower eyelid, which is generally youthful. A canthoplasty is where we actually either shorten a lax lower eyelid or... We somehow change that, take a wedge out of it, anything to make the lower eyelid tighter so it doesn't have the option of, you know, changing shape or migrating or pulling uh, because that can look absolutely awful and it's a dead giveaway uh, of, a, uh, of a lower uh, eyelid surgery. So d- does, this, does the surgery have to be done um, while you're asleep? I definitely would listen upper eyelid surgery you can do it under local anesthesia all day long. um can you do this local with some sedation for sure i mean you you definitely can um but if you're a family member, I'd say, why not just uh undergo twilight or under general anesthetic um because we're not reducing the risk so if you use um you know local with sedation, you're not reducing the risk of an anesthetic. In fact, you probably increase your risk because um, a lot of times you you know if you just give someone oral medication and then I'm injecting the eyelid and we're assuming that they are breathing correctly during the procedure, um, you know I would much rather focus on some, what I'm good at and let an anesthesiologist focus on what they're good at, keeping you comfortable. And that way we don't run into any risks of you waking up during surgery or uh, you feeling any of the, the type of uh, you know injections or, or incisions, things like that. So to me, I just think it's better to at least undergo twilight.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think when you're doing lower eyelid surgery, there's no reason for, for you to be awake. We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you'd like more information about our practice, you can check out our Instagram. It's plasticstocks PLASTIXDOCS on Instagram for more information. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. And then recovery is is generally, lots of bruising, swelling? Can you see through the eyes? Is this something that someone should do and go back to work
0: right away? How mm-hmm. does that work? So I'll take a step back a little bit. So during the procedure, what we do for the eyelids is we actually put a lubricant on a uh, what's called a corneal protector, and we place that over the eye. And then I can perform any surgery I want without drying out the eye and causing uh, you know excessive pain afterwards. Now, the good part is we protect the eye. The the bad part is that, or the downside I would get imagine, is because of the ointment for a few days, the eyes are a little blurry. So for those of you with really poor eyesight, uh, you're going to need someone to help you, especially for the first, uh, you know, 48 hours. But as far as recovery, you have to imagine, especially if I'm doing a transconjunctival uh, lower blepharoplasty, there's no stitches that need to come out. The incisions themselves heal within forty-eight hours, and so the eyes sometimes are a little red and injected. Could you have some bruising? Definitely, you could. I mean, it's a little less likely, but um, you know, we inject the area uh, with what, a, a anesthetic plus something called epinephrine, which reduces the amount of blood loss. And so, most of my patients don't uh, don't bruise very much. Um, as far as true recovery, so afterwards, eyes are a little irritated. Uh, sometimes you will get excessive tearing for the first couple of days up to a week. And then by, usually by one week, um, you know, people are feeling pretty good. I mean, uh, we use a special type of antibiotic steroid drop into the eyes called Tobridex. And that really not, not only reduces some of the inflammation, but, um, you know, lubricates the eye as well. And the the
1: results of something like this are permanent?
0: Well, listen, nothing is ever permanent in surgery because, again, we keep losing 1% per year of collagen. I'll say it over and over again. And so eventually gravity gets us all. But, um, you know, this is a procedure that likely lasts anywhere from 10 to 20 years. Um, You know, and so depending on, especially on when you do it, I mean, the idea is sometimes people who have genetic predispositions uh, to having bags under their eyes and you do it at a younger age, it'll last much longer just because you've got more collagen then than you ever will. And the key is, you know, this is this is the, one
1: of the take-home messages you just kind of <laughs> um, take home with you, is that you don't want to take all the fat out, right? Mm-hmm. So it, interestingly, you know, this isn't like liposuction where you're like, take everything away because you still want some fat in the lower eyelids because you don't want to skeletonize your eyes Mm -hmm. um, because it'll actually make you look hollow. It'll make you look it'll look, look sunken in. So there's a very kind of a fine line as to how much fat you can take out of the lower and sometimes in the upper eyelids. Um, and,
0: and I agree with you. I mean, even in liposuction, you know how we leave a thin layer underneath the skin of fat. Otherwise you try taking every possible fat cell and you're, you're going to get the terraria effect, you yes. know, where it's, it's very, uh, you know, you've, you've got topographic changes now. Um, with the lower eyelid, it's exactly the same. And you, you don't want that cadaver, cadaveric type of look And so what you do is, um, you know, usually the end point is where we remove enough fat that when you have gentle pressure on the globe or eyeball itself, you still can see a little bit, a hint of that puffiness. And, you know, there are three little fat pockets under the eyes. We call them the nasal, middle, and lateral fat pockets. Usually the nasal and middle tend to be a little more uh, prominent and then later in life the lateral one becomes more prominent. Uh, it's not always the case but um, you know in my experience and so we try taking little bits of each one again to make the lower eyelid nice and smooth for someone who has a very deep, Tear trough deformity. And, you know, back to that, what we were calling a negative vector and everything else. Um, the idea is you still have to add some volume in that negative vector. But for a deep tear trough deformity, the idea is you can transpose this vascularized fat from the lower eyelid and just. Move it almost like in our previous podcast we talked about auto augmentation and you re- you you uh, rearrange the breast tissue to form a living implant. Well, this is uh, very similar. You have living fat that you transpose to a deep tear trough deformity, and it can smooth that area out. I mean, obviously, we uh, release that orbital malar retaining ligament, and uh, you can put the fat there. And if someone doesn't feel comfortable doing that, and they just want to remove the fat, the idea is we can uh, essentially fat graft to the tear trough deformity to really make, um, uh, you know, to to make it look as natural as possible.
1: And and if you know, and I know my answer to this, but I'm wondering what you're going to say is, if you could give advice to somebody that sees this this type of lower eyelid bags and, you know, the, the, the genetics, you see them early. Would you tell them to operate on this early or wait till they're older? Um, what are your thoughts on that?
0: You know, I had a patient yesterday. She was 28 years old and uh, she clearly had a genetic um, weakness of the orbital, that retaining ligament. Uh, uh, or the, I should say the orbital septum. And, and so she had puffiness under her eyes. And I said, look, I, I look at it this way. If this is a random occurrence, and again, you had alluded to a high salt diet or alcohol or something like that, and you see it and it bothers you, then, you know, you can try to restrict some of those things and, or just know that when you do eat fried foods or salty foods or have alcohol, that uh, this is going to happen. You, you know, you put a little eye mask on or keep some cold, um, you know, ice packs, something like that, that will help you. But if it's something that's occurring on a regular basis and it's driving you crazy and you can't, you know, it's keeping you from taking photos and, and things like that, then I see no reason not to undergo this procedure because one You've got the uh, you've got the rest of your life to enjoy looking well rested. So, you know, to me, I don't know that there's a cutoff for particular surgeries. It's just like someone asks about a brow lift. You know, one's too one's too young to do a brow lift? Well, you could have a genetic predisposition to a heavy brow, and you could live your whole life that way. Um, and so, it, it really depends on how much it bothers you. So it's interesting because I I agree.
1: Uh, this is an operation that I would recommend for somebody to do. If they have that genetic predisposition, do it. Get it done. Get it early. Because then I'll, I'll, I'll follow it up with this. You can do it early and then over the years, you could just come in for a little tiny little fractionated CO2 under your lids mm-hmm. to keep them tight. Mm-hmm. This way you're not going to make it when you're in your 50s or 60s or wherever, whenever you want to do them, where you have so much skin laxity that the CO2 laser may not do it. Mm-hmm. and you may need something with a sub you know ciliary approach and maybe a canthopexy and it's a much bigger operation if you can just go through a transconjunctival approach take out some fat and then do a little bit of nano fat and then CO2 laser that skin and you're young and that snaps back real nice i mean that's the way you do it mm-hmm. and you get to really enjoy it and look like your vibrant self at a very young age. So, I am I'm definitely for doing this. I mean, I just we, you just did it for one of my patients and she's thrilled. I mean, she looks like she's 32 years old. She looked like she was 50 and tired all the time. Yes. And yes. now she looks like herself. So, it's a it's a beautiful way to do it. Again, most of the stuff that we talk about on this podcast are we're not here to change you. We're just
0: here to make the best version of you. Mm -hmm. We have another one coming up at the end of the month. We're doing a a combined case and she has all of these symptoms and she's relatively young where she's got the puffiness. She has that flattening of the mid face. Mm -hmm. And so you really see that shadow. And so um, the good part is to remove that puffiness, add a little volume and laser over the top is going to be a game changer for her.
1: Absolutely. Now, you know, I I want to ask you one other question because there's a lot of people ask me this, this one question is, do creams help with lower eyelid bags? Do creams help with lower eyelid circles? And can you use these to really remedy these
0: problems? You know, what I will say is this. um, Obviously, I'll start off with the easy answer. Can it, it can't hurt, right? So the idea is if you can use a particular product that has some actives. Let's say there's hyaluronic acid. Let's say tea tree oil. Let's say um, you know there are things that can help uh, vitamin K. Uh, there are things that can help reduce the amount of pigmentation. There are things that can help reduce some of the inflammation and swelling. And so, listen. In our line, it's not saying that you have to use it, but we have an activated night serum uh, that you wear that you wear under your eyes. It's it's listen. It is concentrated. It will. Uh, you use a tiny little amount, put it on the lower eyelids, and you will notice a difference. I mean, it just um, the last thing you want is for your lower eyelids, you know, and it's called the total recovery at night eye cream. But the idea is that you you don't want to you have the lower eyelids dry out. Um, you know, people who continually rub their eyes and things like that causing micro trauma. You want to keep the skin well hydrated. Uh, and moisturized. and so, um I would use something uh, you know, the reason why eye creams are a little different than face, just regular face creams is because of the thickness of the eyelid skin. It's so thin that a lot of uh, creams are essentially will cause irritation. So that's why um, you know, some of the actives have a smaller percent um, and have products in them that reduce inflammation just because, uh you know the lower eyelid is so uh, sensitive and my
1: other question because i do this sometimes um is what do you think of these eye patches Mm -hmm. um because i think that they're actually great Mm because because they weirdly take a little bit of swelling down and they hydrate in its own way um our line has one. I'm not telling you to go buy ours. You can go buy any one you want. But um, our, ours, ours has one. I actually like using it. I put it in the freezer, and it makes it feel even
0: better. Definitely. What do you
1: think about those?
0: Well, listen, the very fact that you put it in the freezer—that's you know—that's brilliant right there. Just because cold itself is going to reduce some of the puffiness, and um, I think that most eye masks are great because they essentially cause a rapid hydration to the lower eyelid. Now, if you can go one step further, and if we look at some of the active ingredients, again, the hyaluronic acids, any of the antioxidants, you know, things that are going to reduce inflammation, I think that these are all great products for the lower eyelid. Um, Now, we have to look at some of the products to see some of the actives that are touted, can they actually be absorbed by the dermis, which is the healthy layer of the skin. If anything's going to be absorbed, it will be absorbed faster on the lower eyelid because of the, the how thin the skin is. So I recommend them. Awesome.
1: Yeah, and and if you're interested, obviously, we have them in our line or you can get them elsewhere. Um, but the, the eye mask is the ultra firm um Lifting eye mask, and it actually goes around the the eyelid, so it actually treats the upper eyelid,
0: the crow's feet, and the lower eyelid. Yeah, I think if you can force hydration into the lateral aspect of the upper eyelid, where you have hooding um, and the crow's feet, while you're treating the lower eyelid, I think it's you know phenomenal, and that's why we designed ours that way. Again, we're not saying you have to buy ours, but um, you could look for an eye patch that actually does that, where it you know you contact the outer portion of the upper eyelid, as well as the the crow's feet, and uh, you'll get an added benefit. Yeah, I, I love putting it on
1: before we're going somewhere, an event or something, to make myself look a little bit better.
0: Well, listen, uh, you know, just as a recap, um, good, better, best. Good, add some filler. Better is, um, you know, either we use radio frequency, we use laser, we use a TCA peel, something like that to tighten some of the skin and thicken it. Best is obviously to treat all three of the underlying problems. You remove the puffiness, you laser the skin, and uh, you add some volume. Whether you redrape the fat or you add fat grafting, um, you know whatever you you ch- choose to have done, um, or whatever your surgeon chooses for you. Uh, hopefully, you guys have learned something here today. Um, you know, again, keep those questions coming. We love uh, hearing your feedback. And uh, just as a reminder, this is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Poor. You can
1: listen to us on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Peace. From iHeartRadio, Forever Young is a Cavalry Audio Golden Hippo production. We are produced by Brandon Morgan. Josh Windish does our editing and mixing.
0: Payment and I serve as executive producers along with Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old.